You ready for this? You you sure you go with this? Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. So what we are doing here is a live podcast recording. Um, you'll get to hear from Blood Swan. Do you want me to call you Blood Swan? You want me to use your real name? You can call me Sarah, but Blood Swan. Oh, okay. Yeah, official. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we got Sarah, who's uh whose boob you can see if you go back and watch my <laughs> Instagram story. I didn't realize it until you mentioned this morning. You were like, yeah, I woke up, I was naked, I wasn't ready for this. Like, wait, didn't you have a whole titty on your Instagram story talking about doing this podcast? And here we are. <laughs> yeah, the whole um, of my titty, which is a nippleless titty, so debatably whole titty. <laughs> well, why, why is that? Why is it nippleless? Oh, I have breast cancer. Oh, so oh, you're a survivor of breast cancer. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Uh, the other answer that I like to tell people is like, what? Do you still have ear nipples? Like, it's the latest thing. Everybody's going nipple-free. Like, <laughs> it's a bad uh, thing. <laughs> did, you, did you have to get both removed or just one? Yeah. Yeah, both. Okay. <laughs> uh, now I want to talk about that, but that's not why we're here. Well, we'll if that comes up, it'll come up. Um, but welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that essentially serves as a self-development resource for people who are navigating herpes stigma. Our guest today is um, Sarah, who is also Blood Swan Music here on Instagram. And we're recording this for anybody who's just listening to the podcast later. Uh, we're recording this live on Instagram. And uh, yeah. Actually, yeah, if people have questions throughout, y'all can ask as well, and I'll just throw that in there. Um, but to begin with, why don't you first share, like, where your motivation came to come on here and share your experience living with herpes? Yeah, well, um, as I shared on my Instagram story, you know, I, honestly, I had not thought about this a whole lot until recently. It was like an inspired thought that came to me. In the morning, I was just like, uh, you know, I've been thinking recently about creative things to do other than working for someone else that can uh, support me. And, and I was thinking how uh, powerful it would have been for me if as a as a high schooler, you know, maybe somebody had come to our school and talked to us about having had an STI. Um, and then I it, it had honestly been like three years since I had connected with you and I had moved away from listening to the podcast or any podcast at all. Um, so I reached out to you and then uh, volunteered myself to come here and do this. And, and you were really helpful about, um, you know, talking about what it might look like to, you know, to speak and the importance of not just like breaking stigma, but also uh, around around herpes, but like breaking stigma around mental health and how, you know, sexual health is mental health, which I'm sure you're, you might even be tired of saying at this point because you've been saying it for the last, like, what, five years now? Yeah, it'll be six years in February that I've been at least interviewing people. Um, so, yeah, it's been about six years. I, I don't know that I had that realization that sexual health is mental health at that point in time. I think that that took a little bit of consistency like around the time that i started the nonprofit, which was 2019 i say that's when it started because when i started the nonprofit, that's when i started raising money to pay for people to get therapy uh so with that all said and you wanting to essentially put your experience out there and share your story what is your story 
question. Um, so as far as, yeah, as far as herpes goes. Um, so I think I developed symptoms. Actually, my, my ex-husband and I had split and uh, I know that I got it from him. Um, it's interesting that I slept with a ton of people, dozens of people before I ever got an STI. And, and it was like the one time that I was with someone who was like, I have herpes and, you know, I was insanely in love. And um, <clears throat> I also looking back, um, I think, uh, oh, there was a, what was a quote that I want to share in this book that I was reading about this. It's like, Basically, uh, the only shame is in failing to learn from it and in not taking steps to avoid other mistakes. And of course, the mistake for me was in not taking my own personal health seriously. And um, because he, you know, he told me like, hey, you can really only get it if we have sex while I'm having an outbreak and I never have outbreaks. And this was a, this was a whole like, this was a relationship where I threw all caution to the wind in this like codependent, I'm looking back in like this really codependent, really unhealthy way. Um, I've done some 12 step work around it, you know, since then, because I've, I've realized that like, it wasn't just my sexual health that I sacrificed, but it was my physical health. Um, I, I ended up like, you know, filing a, a domestic violence order of protection, like a month into our, our marriage. So like, it was, it was a lot. And so, um, I had this compulsion to sacrifice myself and like constantly rely on what he said rather than to do my own research. And so, um, interestingly enough, like I was pregnant, um, I think six months into our relationship and I, I, um, was tested for herpes and I didn't have it at that point, at that point, you know, I was tested for everything, like blood tests and everything. Um, and then like, a year and a half into our relationship, I, I developed what I thought was like a spider bite on my ass cheek. This might be a different, this might be a different experience than some people have had, like, on my butt cheek. I was like, I thought it was a, a spider bite, like this itchy, like, reddish, uh, tiny little blisters on my butt cheek. I'm like, what, what's happening here? <laughs> um, and I really thought, like, it was a spider bite. And then for a while, I thought maybe it was MRSA, because my ex-husband had had MRSA, you know, um, one of my medically resistant, um, staphylococcus something like that um have you ever talked to anybody who has has her face on their butt cheek am i am i an anomaly is this like <laughs> yeah. no I, I have yeah um something i haven't talked to people about though is their relationship to codependency so i want to ask you a little bit about that because what i see as in hindsight people reference to being codependency and this is something that's going to come up in a future podcast episode with someone that I was chatting with about uh, this idea that people have to establish, maintain, and exclusive be, exclusively be independent rather than being interdependent. And when I look up, uh, I, I posted this the other day, the definition of codependence versus interdependence and the way that it's used, like in hindsight, I was codependent. This was a problem in the relationship. However, in real time or in future sense, you want to be able to be interdependent with a partner. So the messaging that we receive as we look at and reflect on our past relationship, and it's essentially that 
we were interdependent but with the wrong person and therefore because it was wrong it was codependent and we look at being any sort of dependent as a bad thing when the reality is if we're in a relationship where we don't need anybody and we're with someone who also doesn't need anybody then it's no need for a relationship or if we're so independent and we come into a relationship with a healthy person who is a healthy level of dependent interdependent and then the scales are imbalanced on what each person is complementing with the other person then we have mismatched relationships and eventually those things end so i want to get a little bit more insight from you as to what it means for you to have come out of a relationship where you were codependent especially if that's something that's keeping people from being interdependent which is kind of what like family have it's like you're we're doing these things we're supporting each other we complement each other we're uplifting each other and it's for the overall intention of the relationship so my question to you is what does it mean coming out of that relationship to have been codependent yeah so i I will relate like uh my dad actually recently asked me like what does that mean codependent because he was telling me about he met this met this woman and they're talking about getting married he'd known her for like three weeks and she was saying that she wanted to lose weight for him i'm like that's codependence he's like what's that (laughs) i'm like yeah so for me it's more than just interdependence it is making my well-being depend upon another person to a level that's unhealthy and puts me at risk um for me it's also like ignoring red flags ignoring my own intuition um having no boundaries at all like not even taking I personally like I don't know if it's because of this experience or being raised as a woman but I find that I need to take some time away from another person to check in it takes like a day like a 24-hour reset to be in my own aura before I can really know like what the hell like I think um I've gotten better at it you know over the years I've done a shit ton of work mostly 12-step work um is what I found has been really helpful um so I've gotten better at like holding those boundaries and space when in relation to another person so that I'm just not like you know rather than anticipating what I think this other person wants me to say or do like doing what feels aligned with me like in reality does that make sense yeah that makes sense uh, I guess if she wanted to lose weight, I look at that as like a motivating thing. It's like, I want to lose weight and you're now you're my reason to do so. So on one hand, it sounds like it could be a healthy thing, but to the wrong person, like if your dad, someone was going to use that and manipulate her later on down the line in the relationship, like while she's doing this thing that is arguably healthy for her, or maybe it's something that she's always wanted to do, but never was able to find the motivation to do so like using myself for example is it codependent because you know i'm thinking about stopping this podcast but then i hear from somebody who's like keep doing this and i'm like oh i'll do this for you is that codependent Mm. good question i mean i think that if you want to do the podcast you should do it for you (laughs) because because what's good for me is what's good for everyone at the end of the day like that's for me that's my understanding of boundaries like um, you know, if I'm feeling pressure, cause I've had a podcast too, and it's a lot, it's like a ton of work. Like if I was feeling pressure from other people to keep it up because it was good for them and I did it simply for them, um, for me personally, that would be unsustainable. 
that would not be coming from like a real place. There would be a kernel of resentment. Um, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're different. Um, there are some people in this world. Uh, my mother was one of them who can just give and give and give. And like, it really fills them up, but I need to be aligned hundred percent myself and my giving or it can set me up for resentment. Um, and for me, like if somebody's going to lose weight, like that's something so personal. If you're going to lose weight for someone else, I just like, that's just such a huge red flag for me. Like if I'm going to lose weight and like take care of myself, it fucking needs to be for me. Like I need to lose weight for me. I need to take care of my body for me, not somebody I just met, like that I think I'm in love with, you know, like, uh, that's I like how you said it. I think I'm in love with. Right? Like, I just fucking met this person. Like, you don't know them. Like, I know what I think you are. I know what my fantasy about you is. But I don't truly know you. I'm painting I'm painting this idea of what I want you to be onto you. That's what happened with my ex-husband. And um, that's why I married him. Like, I, you know, he showed me his good side for a second. And um, unfortunately, it was a narcissistic, sociopathic-like situation. And uh, I'm not a victim. I was a fucking volunteer. Like, he showed me his monstrosities. He showed me how violent he could be. And I wanted to believe that he could be the good part all the time again. And he wasn't going to be violent again. And that was bullshit. Like, he showed me who the fuck he was. Um, so, anyway, go ahead. We, we can't just speed past what you just said. I wasn't a victim. I was a volunteer. Can you, that sounds like accountability. Or what, what would you consider that to be? Yeah, it is accountability. And, and for me in my healing process, it's been empowering because if I was a victim of something like an earthquake, right, um, then there's probably nothing I can do to prevent it from happening in the future other than maybe move somewhere else. Although, like, it's this planet Earth, an earthquake potentially could happen maybe everywhere. I don't know. I'm not, like, an earthquake scientist. But, like, understanding my part in a situation that was very painful for me and not to my best interest allows me to um grab a dis- different perspective on it so I don't repeat those mistakes in the future mm. okay no thank you for that uh because I just hadn't heard it before and it, it to me it sounds like the word volunteer is sometimes more accurate than the word victim you know because I think that we can enable ourselves to allow people to do things that um we want to say it are being done to us, but we're enabling them to do them. So technically we're kind of doing them to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So can you describe a little bit more about this relationship? Oh God. <laughs> Painful. Um, what do you want to know? <laughs> well, I guess like what made him a narcissistic sociopath. And then I would like to know, like, from the time you found out that you had herpes, it sounds like it was a year and a half after your pregnancy. So did you go through the pregnancy? Uh, did you in the relationship? Like those details specifically. Yeah. So I'm going to cry again. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's a lot. Um, so... I'm going to skim over some things because obviously like it's not something I think about a lot. It's not something I really want to think about. Um, but, um, what, what I will, what I will say is that this, you know, this person came on really hot. My ex-husband, he came on really hot and heavy. It was like super intense in the beginning. It was really exciting because he's like love bombing, you know, like 
the best. You're amazing, blah, 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 which uh, I am. Um, but, but like, you don't fucking know me, you know? And um, what I've learned in recovery um, as a sex love addict is that the biggest red flag is too fast. Um, and so I, I fell for all that. And so it was like, you're amazing, blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as I put up a boundary for him for anything, like, I think we tried to have sex the first time, and uh, I have a lot of trauma, so I wasn't able to go through with it. And, um, you know, eventually his reaction became, like, really fucking shitty. And um, eventually, I, I can't remember what, but I said no to him about something else. And he just, like, real, like laid into me, like, disproportionate reaction to the no that I'm saying. Um, and I think those are, like, the first signs, right, of volatility, um, and I think that's, that's like a big test in my experience of a narcissist is like, if you say no to them, like, you know, if you want to find out who somebody is like, say no, I'm telling them no, like that, that doesn't work for me. And if they respond in a volatile manner, like that's not somebody you need to hang out with. Right. Like, um, so yeah, about, about six months in our relationship, I filed the DBO uh, I couldn't, I couldn't survive without him. We got back together. Like I was literally, I thought I was going to die. Like that's how much as a sex and love addict I was. Like I thought I was going to die without him. And it was the most horrendous feeling to be like yearning for someone who you're afraid is going to kill you. Like just the most fucked up dichotomy to hold within your body. Right. Um, because he had shown me, um, that he was capable of like strangulation um and it's fucking terrifying like that's you know actually now i know four men murder their female partners every single day in the u.s alone four men murder their female partners and that doesn't count like people they're not dating <laughs> that doesn't count like strangers on the street and it used to be three man it's gotten worse um so anyway we got back together i got pregnant i lost the baby um three months in so um, and about a year later, um, we, we split, you know, or there's just like this, this, this day where I was like, just like physic, I was physically sick for like a week, you know, walking into work and like nearly vomiting, just like trying to walk into work and like, just so anxious that I would like almost puke and be like retching on the way into work. And I think it was like all this anxiety. And so I think luckily it ended pretty peacefully. I just asked him like, are you miserable? And he's like, yeah. So uh, we separated and yeah, it was a few months later, like a, a year and a half into like having a sexual relationship with him, somebody who had herpes before I had symptoms. Um, and it took me, I think, I think a solid like eight months to wonder like if this was something other than a spider bite or like MRSA, because I just wasn't paying enough attention to my health, I guess. Um, when I went to the doctor, doctor they they were pretty shitty about it honestly um it's almost like the doctor was angry at me for some reason <laughs> like the I didn't I didn't think that they were gonna say it was herpes like I came in because I had what I thought was like I thought like maybe I had a genital wart turns out it was it was a new mole and I was like cool um I was like but what about this spider bite on my butt cheek <laughs> she's like that looks like herpes I'm like fuck no <laughs> But, um, and so, yeah, she tried to, uh, I remember like standing there and she tried to, um, 
like break the blisters without like asking consent or telling me what she was doing and it hurt. And anyway, she wasn't able, I wasn't able to get a positive diagnosis at that point. Um, so before, really before I got a, an actual like blood test diagnosis, I had self-diagnosed. Like I, I, you know, I did the research after she mentioned that and I was like, fuck, like definitely this is what this is, you know? Um, so yeah, at that point I wanted to kill myself as I think probably a lot of people do. And this is something that I want to talk about with you, Courtney. Um, because like, I remember the first time I got an STI test, they made you come in to the health department in person to give you your results. Right. And the reason is because if you had HIV, they didn't want you to know coming into the, the test, like coming in, like driving to the clinic, whether you had HIV or not. Right. They wanted everyone to like come into the clinic. So you don't freak out. You know, everybody has to come in. And if you have HIV, they had to have somebody there to counsel you. Cause like people with HIV, when they're diagnosed, want to kill themselves and, and it, i mean and i also want to offer that they also do that because they don't want you to not have treatment like you can begin treatment right away while you're in there so whenever i go and get tested now and hiv is on the test and i ask them i was like okay what come what happens if this comes back positive then they say okay well you know with the 20 minute rapid results what we would do is if it came back positive do a second test just in case and then while they have you because uh, early on you signed something saying, uh, giving consent for treatment if you are positive for HIV so that they can treat you right away, get you your medication so that you don't have those moments of going home and then like thinking about not taking your medication or they lose you. Because another thing too is that it's sometimes hard to get in contact with people after they come in for treatment for whatever reason i could be passing through i could uh be homeless i could just be someone that is at high risk and you may never see again mm -hmm. so that's another reason i don't want people leaving here thinking that everybody who gets a diagnosis of hiv wants to kill themselves and that the government organizations are aware of this and that's why that they want to give you the test results in person and what year was this that this happened by the way clarifying um what year was that that was probably 2005 and that's what they told me i didn't have any other any other knowledge that like treatment available they told me that was the sole reason at that time and honestly that's the only time that i've had sti results like required to be given in person all so. right so yeah it's 17 years later big difference okay so that might have been that at the time yeah so i mean i feel like you know, hearing people on your on your cast recently as it's catching up on episodes, which there's so many amazing. Uh, if you're listening, you should you should go back and, and and catch up on them. Just a little plug for something positive. But like, um, it's shocking to me that the those kind of results now for herpes, which uh, how many people like what percentage of people want to kill themselves when they're given a herpes diagnosis? Like, surely I'm not the only one, right? Like, I, you know, I think you have those stats as far as your survey goes, right? Yeah, it was uh, uh, around 30 that people at least have the thought. Um, and then 3% of the 1,149 people who answered the question said that they attempted to kill themselves. I mean, it's terrifying and that's like it's really fucking serious so results like that like given over you know portal where you can get it on your phone in the middle of the night like i just think we really need to do better yeah uh what is a sex and love addict because you said sex and love addict, mm -hmm. and i think that's different than a sex addict or a love addict yeah so 
the love addiction part of it is like this this feeling that uh, I def I define it really as like feeling like I'm gonna I'm gonna kill myself if I'm not with you know a person that I'm in love with right like and and that being a symptom of it um, it's really for me it comes down to that simple it's like suicidal um, feelings when and, you know, like a breakup happens of someone like um, romantically connected to. Yeah. And then you said sex and so same thing with the sex or is this something different? Um, for me, like the sex addiction is like roped into the love addiction. And so, uh, I guess what I'm asking is you're with love addiction, you're addicted to being loved by this particular person or you're addicted to being loved period with sex addiction you're addicted to sex or you're addicted to sex with a particular person so can you uh, yeah so for me i mean it's different for different people um for me like the love addiction thing uh, yeah in the past is i don't i don't know how much it's really Gosh, I'm, this is a hard question. <laughs> this is a hard question. How do I answer this question? Well, so, um, so earlier you said you've had sex with dozens of yeah. people. And I guess, like, that linked with sex addict or sex addiction would mean that it didn't matter if it was him or if it was anybody else. Yeah. But because, okay, all right. So that's the sex addict piece. <laughs> love addict have you ever found yourself being addicted to loving and being loved before this relationship or outside oh, of this absolutely. relationship absolutely absolutely yeah okay so i remember uh vic mensa was on this podcast and i i'm so upset that i don't remember the name of it but this was the first time i had talked about love addiction and with that this was someone who was in uh i think he was just in love with he was just in love with the idea of being in love i believe it's a really old podcast and i used to listen to a lot of podcasts so i, I can't uh, i can't remember like specific details of it so that's why i wanted to ask in case anybody else had been unfamiliar with what love addiction is and so that i can have a different frame of reference for what that would look like for another person as well yeah yeah and i think honestly i think it's normalized in our culture to this idea that like if you meet somebody and you're like crazy head over heels in love that that's like really normalized um you know if that works for you and it doesn't doesn't make you to where like you can't fucking work or you end up kill yourself then great but like in my experience i was so distracted at work um that i ended up getting fired at one point because i was just like thinking about this person um and then yeah the suicidal ideation is just completely unmanageable so so it yeah. sounds like an adult version of puppy love like being distracted not being able to focus on anything in particular and all you can think about is the idealization of this person and you can't even think about being without them and then if you are thinking about being without them the thoughts are so detrimental that you get to the point of your mental health being impacted yeah, and I mean, it's dopamine and oxytocin addiction as well. Like, it, it's real. Like, it's hormonally, it's physical. Like, there's real withdrawal. There's actually inpatient treatment for sex and love addiction. Like, inpatient treatment. And I've heard practitioners say 
uh, that it's worse, like the withdrawal is worse than when they watch people withdrawing from heroin. And I've heard um, sex and love addicts who are also, you know, clean from heroin and other hard drugs say that it was worse to withdraw from someone they were, you know, romantically addicted to than from the hard drugs. So like, you know, those hormones are not to be underestimated. Like it's fucking real. Yeah. Okay, thank you for sharing that. I know that that was a hard question for you to answer. So I'll give you an easier one. What did the abuse look like? I lost audio for some reason. Oh, What'd I, you say? I said, like, we're not talking about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, moving forward then, I guess, what did your relationship uh, look like after you got your diagnosis? Was the relationship over at that point? Or Okay, I lost you again. Oh. Oh. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Uh, you get your herpes diagnosis as a love addict, as a sex addict. What does this do at this point when you've accepted that this was the case? And this was in what, 2005, you said? Uh, um, when I was diagnosed um, officially, it was 2020. Oh. Oh, so for these, all right, so now we got to talk about this 16 years where you weren't officially diagnosed, but you're you gonna, had an idea. Yeah. No, you're going to timeline and this makes sense. So the first symptoms for me were um, in the beginning of 2016. Oh. Yeah, I was just talking about like the first time I was ever tested for STI. Yeah, got, like got it, got it, okay. Um, so I've been mostly celibate since then so i've had very few interactions where it's been like oh okay we're talking about sex and I'm like we've met we're talking about sex now we're like you know starting to talk about like you know kind of obviously we want to have sex so um my approach now is like okay i want you to know the fuck what we're talking about right <laughs> so i bring it up pretty quickly um as soon as like sex comes up but I, now that i've been in 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 programs where like I'm recovering from my sex and love addiction, it's a lot slower. Like I don't, I don't do one night stands anymore. Like I'm a lot more intentional and discerning about who I'm sleeping with. Um, because I, like, I know for me, like it's so fucking triggering for me to sleep with someone and not like know them and not know that they're a safe person and not know for me that they're like, somebody's going to like stay in my life. You know, like, I have to be long-term. That's just, that's just where I'm at right now. So, um, I've had those conversations have been few and far, but I've mostly been celibate over the last seven years. Like, uh, I would say 99.999% I've been very single and celibate. So I've had a few conversations with people. Sometimes they're like, I don't give a shit. And I'm like, you need to give a shit. This is your health. So you're going to do some research and then, when you do your research, we can talk about this again because that's a red flag. <laughs> so, okay. So people don't give a shit that you're celibate or that you have herpes. That have herpes. And, and by, yeah, and men particularly, I'm like, y'all need to fucking care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so with that said, though, isn't that a little... Isn't that more in the direction that we want to go is where it's not a big deal. People don't care. But then on the other hand. Yes. But, but I want people to not care because they're informed and it doesn't feel like it's to them. But just to be like, I don't care about my sexual health. I actually don't know what that means, but I just want to fuck you. Like, that's not okay. Because what I'm finding is that most people don't know what the fuck it means to have herpes. I didn't know what the fuck it meant. Like, I didn't know what it looked like. 
I had no idea. Like you hear, you hear these like jokes or whatever when you're growing up, and you think it's one thing, and it's not. Like for me, it's like some itchy little blisters on my butt crack, my butt cheek. Like you know, like like that's what it is for me. And it's it's different. Like for some people, they have like nerve pain and all this other shit. But like anyway, uh, you know, if someone's consenting have sex with me, like, I want them to understand what the fuck they're consenting to, you know what I mean? How informed does a person need to be before you feel comfortable moving forward with them? Damn, Courtney, you ask you the big questions. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. Now, like, on a scale of one to ten between one being no information at all and ten being I mean, encyclopedia of information, but just, like, what are some things that give you an idea that this is an informed person. I've never come across an informed person that I've that I've like told like nobody that I've ever spoken to and revealed to them like and we're talking probably half a dozen people. Um, like they never know for sure that they don't have it for one because everybody thinks that they're being tested for herpes when they ask to be tested for everything. Mm-hmm. You're fucking not. Um, they don't really know like what it means to have herpes at all they have no fucking clue it's just like they've never done any research on it like just hella uninformed just like i've heard rumors about what herpes is but i don't actually know so you disclose to someone and they go oh i've dated someone in the past who's had herpes and they ask you if you take medication or if you um get reoccurring outbreaks is that enough for you to feel like they have some understanding Totally. You kind of lit up. Yeah, there it is. It never <laughs> happened. <laughs> okay. Um, how do you disclose your herpes status when you have these conversations? Because to me, it sounds like more of a big deal that you're celibate than it is that you have herpes when we're talking about dating, especially with the intention of being in a relationship. Can you say that again? What do you mean? It seems more of a big deal that I'm celibate than you mean, like, well, because part of my life, because that's true. Say that part again. Do you mean that it's like a larger part of, been a larger part of the last several years? Because that's, that's been true. Well, in dating, I think that we have the most easy access to potential partners nowadays between the internet and dating apps specifically to where if someone approaches you and they want to advance toward a sexual relationship hearing that you're celibate could be something that would deter a person uh like oh you ain't giving it up all right i'm moving on to the next person because somebody else will versus it being about your herpes status because to me what that says like is that this person more so values you to want to get to know you more and learn if it's worth the wait or if it's something that I need to just move on away from. And we have something here as well from someone in the chat that says um, that disclosing celibacy is a tough conversation and that people assume that you have crazy issues. And by crazy issues, I'm going to assume like maybe you was out here hoeing in the past and you're going to let everybody smash too easily. Now, you don't want to be uh, looked at in a certain way. You can elaborate there. If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. And you can elaborate, and then I'll ask the question differently. But that's what I would assume is that, oh, hey, Amy. Uh, <laughs> what I would assume 
it's that that's the case. It's like a person may hear celibate and think, oh, you must be exhausted from all the sex that you've been having and people haven't been valuing you and you're not someone. I know. <laughs> but no, like, I, you know, when I say that I'm celibate, I mean that I've spent the last large portion of the last several years celibate. I have had sex. Um, you know, I'm open to sex. I definitely want to have sex. If I meet some, like, I get to not, oh, and that seems worth it to me. Like, fuck yeah. Like, I'm not, like, out here dating right now to not have sex with people. Like, I'm, I'm going to fuck. <laughs> but it's going to be after I get to know you, you know? Like, and so I, I'm not, like, had to disclose celibacy to anyone. Like, it's not, it's not been a big deal. And also, like, for, for, I think that we're in two totally different places because, like, I live in a tiny house in the middle of the woods in this tiny-ass town in Kentucky, and, like, it is hard to find partners. It is. It's not as easy as swipe-swipe. And also, my standards are really fucking high anymore. Like, really fucking high, and I'm, I'm old school. I'm also bi, so, like, for for me, like, I'm, if, I'm, if I'm dating a man, like, I want him to approach me. Like, I want him to put in the effort. He's got to, like, impressed me and with his first messages like there's just like a whole lot so like almost no one gets through <laughs> my, my, my list of standards at this point so and that's fine I'm really happy being single what are your standards for women um yeah engaging conversation um it's it's so different it's a completely different ball game like it's way easier <laughs> for me to date women I'm like honey you just need to show up and like let's talk let's make art together um uh, yeah women are so fun <laughs> all right so if it's so easy for women it sounds like why is it so hard for men good question i've had yeah i just i don't know how to answer that question courtney i've had i've had mostly relationships with men um I'm so fucking dead at this point. <laughs> That's I, think, I feel like we're easy. Like, super easy. Like you're saying that it feels like women are easy. And maybe that's just because we know this a lot easier. Like, I more so know a man's nature. You more so know a woman's nature. And it's easy to connect with someone else who's connected to that nature. However, on the other hand, like, you've had more relationships with men. Is that is that correct? Did you say that? All right. So having more relationships with men, I would think that you were more experienced in how simple we are and that it would be easier for you to date men than it would be to date women. I think it's harder for men to impress me at this point. Like, uh, it's very so what? I'm impressed by you. I'm impressed by you, for the record. <laughs> I was telling one of my girlfriends yesterday about this, and I was like, pretty sure he's ethically non-monogamous, and that makes me really happy because women, like a lot, lot of, I think a lot of women need to experience being with somebody who is caring and listens and like into consent and like emotionally intelligent it's a fucking novelty but like don't you get that from women yeah yeah so it, it's so much easier because like that comes from women so i guess my question would be then what is your uh like what do you want from men or what have you been impressed by by men that you've dated in the past Don't tell me they were just there. <laughs> I can't. Okay. We're, I'm, I got nothing. All right. I got nothing. 
Okay, no, no, no. I'm 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 doing a disservice to the guy I most recently dated. He was kind. He's a gentleman. Um, like he paid for shit, you know, and uh, just like really chill. And he like, oh, it was just amazing because it's so different from like my ex husband. I remember hanging out with him, being like, "You've not gotten on my case about anything today. Like you're just you're not like." starting fights about things like the bar is really fucking low Courtney <laughs> you're not starting random fights over nothing like that's yeah that's where we're at right now okay so I guess like your past sort of dictates your expectations in the present is that an accurate statement or not yeah yeah okay uh so have you dated women since your herpes diagnosis no Oh, I just started dating a girl, actually, and I'm really excited about it. So when we start talking about sex, I'll bring it up, but that's probably a little bit down the road, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. How soon after, you know, maybe dating does a sex conversation typically come up with partners? Uh, I would say by third or fourth date, usually. Third or fourth, fourth date? Y'all yeah. going that many dates before y'all talking about yeah. Sex comes up for me before I even meet up with people and maybe that's because of what I do oh for sure I mean like we're 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 different people like I don't even kiss until like the third or fourth date at this point like that's where I'm at like that's how slow I'm taking it yeah all right um so I guess like we we've gotten away from herpes and I want to make sure to bring that to your attention that I'm aware that we've gotten away from herpes because I want for you to see, I know that you said that you want to tell your story, but I want you to see the complexities of what your story is. You got your relationship, you got love addiction, you've been in uh, different types of support and recovery. Your experience is so much more expansive than just I got herpes. I hate that the way that I was educated and miseducated about it. I hate the way that it's talked about. We need to do something about this because there are so many other components in that that are impactful to you as well as the people that you're going to be sharing your story with that the vast majority of people who would hear you speak, they can relate to those things as opposed to herpes. So speaking about domestic abuse, uh, speaking about, uh, you know, even the harder conversations, you had a miscarriage, you talked about the love addiction, you talked about suicide. We have to be able to engage in a variety of ways these aspects of ourselves because the herpes piece is completely insignificant as represented in this podcast. Like, it's not really that big of a deal. It's all of these other things that you had going on and then potentially having herpes, putting those things to the forefront, which is very representative of this podcast. You came here to talk about herpes and here we are talking about these other very, very, very challenging things, you know, including disclosing celibacy, right? But for you, the way that I understand it, celibacy is more for you and then you can sort of turn that off when you meet someone that you want to have sex with so it's not really a factor for the other person you're not like hey i'm celibate and i need to know that you're somebody that i want to have sex with before we have sex ballpark yeah (laughs) yeah so at this point how do you feel about this overall conversation for yourself yeah yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah that's not an answer (laughs) (laughs) that's my answer 
anything else that you want to touch on that you may not have gotten to touch on from our conversation so far? Yeah, um, it's so funny. I wrote this down last night listening to your, what I read is self-ed, self-education, but self-episode. Uh, so, interesting right. you say that. So, self used to be an entire podcast. Nobody listened to it. I published it, posted it, shared it. I had like a total of 10 listeners one week. There was one person, shout out to Erica. Erica hit me up probably on a weekly basis, sent me pictures of her notes. Like she wrote stuff down. It was like, oh my God, Courtney. So while I took the podcast down and just deleted everything, I still have the recordings from those episodes. Uh, There's one that I don't have, I believe, or it's duplicated uh, somewhere in there. But the entirety was just essentially me processing therapy, processing situations that happen to me in a way that other people would be able to hear from an everyday person dealing with everyday stuff, and then understand questions to ask um, from experience that they can relate to from like an everyday person rather than a celebrity having written a book about their celebrity problems, and they're like, yeah, I solved this problem, you can fix it too, just throw money at it, and it's like, no, like, we, we don't do that. <laughs> so, I appreciate your message about it because i know you asked me if i was high i wasn't high i was just it was a pandemic and i was more so bored than anything but it was a very good use of time and i'm glad you brought it up because i still have those recordings and i was listening to the episode that you were talking about this morning i was like what did i say in there like what was it why was this so good but yeah it was self as in self-education self-reflection self-development self-discovery it was anything that has self in the front of it and it was just kind of wordplay on that and being all encompassed in self-education. I love it. Yeah. And before I even heard you say this, like while I was re- listening to this episode, I wrote down herpes as a taboo is an extension of the illusion of separateness. Wait, who, I said that? I said that. Oh, yeah, but, but also after.
we're we're moving in a positive direction is what I'm saying. Like we are like yeah, you see it. Yeah. Um, for HIV, like I understand that this is something that had a more in your face impact on people. Like people who had HIV had to go tell somebody unless they just wanted to, you know, just go through the process of dying. Like you had to tell somebody, you had to go seek treatment. So people had to know what was going on. And therefore we were able to share this with loved ones and loved ones were able to support us and do things for us and we were able to get medical treatment for herpes it's something that we don't want to share we want to keep it to ourselves so how can we get support how can we get allies how can we inspire celebrities to want to give the causes that support us if there are so few causes that support us and if there's so few people supporting the causes that support the people who need the support it's just one of those things that has this perpetuated cycle of nothing happening because there's like no significance to herpes being seen by the public eye. So with that all being said, though, I interviewed someone who I consider to be famous. Um, It's one of our past podcast episodes uh, with a comedian. And like, I I was able to post the episode, like we consented to that, but she didn't share it. She didn't text me back. She didn't email me back. Like, I, I think it's just a shame component of it, but the podcast episode is up. She hadn't told me to take it down. Um, just kind of very similar with you. So a lot of people that I have on the podcast end up having a much more vulnerable conversation than I think they're ready to have because she and I, I believe we talked about suicide. We talked about depression. We talked about um, her past relationships. And I think that maybe she just got really uncomfortable with that and just ghosted me flat out like she did her part and then just took off (laughs) uh however uh that is kind of what i I hope people can do just in a little bit of a different way but come get what you need and then be able to go on and live your life in a way that makes herpes completely insignificant to what you have going on so the more of that we can get and i also very much appreciate you being willing to come live on here with me um not just to show people your face and see people's, you know, like this is what a person with herpes looks like. This is a demonstration of two people who are intelligently talking about uh, what it means to have, what it means to live with herpes. And now we have more of this representation out there to the world. So as people stumble across this podcast, as people come into this space, like this is what they're going to have as a reference point for themselves rather than just, People with herpes are gross, don't get tested, whatever, whatever, and also have a story to assign with that rather than the assumption of you got herpes because you had sex with a lot of people. No, that's not how this works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I had sex with one person. <laughs> and then also, and also a person who told you that they had herpes and you were yeah. That's also a part of this. Yeah, it is. <sighs> um, when is your TED Talk actually going live? You're talking about this episode? No, your TED Talk that's happening in the future because you fucking need it. And when is your book coming out? So we have, uh, we already have a TED Talk. Shout out to Ella Dawson. She did a phenomenal job on that TED Talk. So No, your TED Talk. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, because after some stuff that she said about TED and TEDx or whatever, I don't know if I want to work with those people. 
I'm saying that now. Like the recording, we'll pay you excess. All right, I'm there. <laughs> It'll take much fatigue, but uh, the uh, there was some something that she shared about like the ethics of the place, and I gotta be real careful about that. I gotta be real careful with where I line, like especially something positive for positive people. Like, yeah, I'll write articles for Pornhub, but you know, the the sexual wellness center. Um, however, like anything that can be potentially harmful to something positive for positive people later on down the line, more harm coming to something positive versus the potential of more good coming from the audience or something positive for positive people. That's kind of where my scale of balance is for what I do and what I don't do. So, I mean, I might mess around and just start a something positive for positive people talk. Like, well, that's what the podcast is, essentially. <laughs> Well, uh, your book then. When is your book coming out? Oh, damn. We don't do that here. Uh, <laughs> so I'm really struggling with this one part where I have to just talk about myself. I actually have, uh, I'm interviewing one of my board members, Dr. Evelyn Dacker, about a framework for disclosing um, your herpes status and having an overall communication um, framework for talking about relationships in general with a potential partner. I'm about to go downstairs and interview her as soon as we get done with this interview. Um, once that's done, I have to interview Dr. Ina Park. We're gonna talk about the science of herpes and then stigma. And then I just have to find a way to talk about myself and tell my story. And then um, it'll be ready for editing. And then from there, I'll just have to talk it and have it on the audio version. And then I don't know the next steps from there as far as publishing a hard copy but i'm doing this myself so i don't really know what the process is like i just want to have it to where it's an audio version at the very least so people can download it mm -hmm. so how many thousands of tens of thousands of people listen to this podcast every month now because three years ago it was 20k how many is it now so the people tap in and tap out right so subscribers represent the number of people who listen to repeat or uh, who listen to multiple episodes so that many years ago was 22,000 people at one point were listening to the podcast over the same period of time uh, I have to look at that number I, I try not to look at it anymore because I don't want that to be like directing what I do because then I could be like oh bummer like on Instagram I'll get 18 likes for something that's like here's this really super powerful useful bit of herpes information and then I'll get like 600 likes for a selfie, you know, and, and I, I hate that because okay. then it encourages more selfies and less educational content. It's stupid. So what, what I'm hearing, Courtney, is that this is the, the call to action that I'm going to throw out there to your tens of thousands of listeners. A lot of y'all know how to publish a book and understand the importance. Oh, oh, oh I got somebody. Well, Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah. The editor, the person who's editing it, we just haven't gotten that far. Okay. I kind of get her the, here's where we are. And then once I give her the um, written version, she can go through, make her edits, and then I'll get her edits back. And then I'll talk that. And then we discuss the next steps. So really, I mean, if people want to donate, <laughs> if people want to donate and so I can pay this lady because she, she ain't cheap. <laughs> um yeah, then, then we can make this happen that way. But I'm gonna yeah. talk to you. I'm gonna talk to you after this about marketing. I have some ideas because uh, about marketing. So, but uh, I think 
I guess one of the last things I wrote down here, because I, I wrote down a, like a whole book of things. But <laughs> I was like, ah, you know, thinking about this, but like, I'll just say slowing way down between meeting and fucking right now, like since herpes, which what that, that's allowed me to do. Uh, it allows me to not be blindsided by my fantasies. Um, you know, becoming revealed when the person that I imagined I was dating becomes the person that I truly know. So that's a gift for me that herpes has given me. Um, so, yeah. And like, I respect my vagina now more. Like I respect my vagina. And I remember like having to have this like reckoning, like, you know, because, um, it's not the case for everyone, of course, but it was my case that I, I did take my ex-husband's words at face value. I didn't do my own research on herpes and, um, I wish that I had done that. I, I you know, and so, um, yeah, we've had a reckoning. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm going to give you respect now, <laughs> you know? So anyway. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for allowing me to do this over Instagram live as well. Um, we'll be in contact after this podcast episode so i'm gonna go ahead and post this now put a little bit of detail into it but this podcast episode will be the next one that comes out i believe episode 264 so uh is it 64 or 84 i think it's 264 yeah but um thank you i appreciate you and you and i will be in touch um if anyone wants to follow you where can they do that at at Bloodstorm Music. Okay, I was going to say it should be here, but I don't see it on the screen anywhere. Yeah. Okay. All right, thank you so much. Have a good day. You too, Sarah. I don't know how to kick you off. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right, thank you for everybody who joined the live. This was very spontaneous. I don't have, like, any real closing here um we touched on a lot of very heavy things for our guests this is what the process looks like if you're someone who wants to participate in an interview and you're open to showing your face this is sort of what the process is going to look like um sarah and i we talked about love addiction sex addiction we talked about um having gone through divorce and actually we didn't talk about the miscarriage that was something that she chose to not go further into um something that came up is disclosing celibacy that is something that um, i've seen more people want a little bit of conversation around but that's just like disclosing anything else so um we can take the framework for stars which i'll do another episode with dr evelyn dacker um who created the stars talk and uh that's something that can be applied as well and actually this is a good timing for that conversation because i want to mention celibacy when we do have our interview the cat's out of the bag i am in the process of writing something positive for positive people book um this is going to be available on audiobook when exactly it'll be 2023 for sure um, but I have to get through three more what I call chapters of the book. And then once it goes through the editing process, I need to record it and then submit it to wherever it's going to need to be submitted. I'm working with an editor. I'm working with a publisher. So 
we're good. Like this is this is actually happening. So um, I'm hoping to do more of these live podcasts. If you're someone who's interested, especially if you know men who would be interested in sharing their stories, like please hit me up. It can be anonymous if needed. But um, yeah, I appreciate y'all being here. I'm getting away from saying till next time.